Hey friends, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Zilt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. Let's keep you guys up on the latest literature. Now let's take a quick look ahead at everything that we'll be covering. First off, pad placement for cardioversion doesn't seem to matter that much, but when you're pacing, there may be a preference. After that, rhythm control for the win. Shocks continue to be fun and beneficial for atrial fibrillation. Third, just one more reason to not go around sticking fingers in people's butts. Then, constantly trying to find the best way to deal with PEs is difficult. There's so many testing strategies. Here's an approach that's simple and perhaps a little bit safer than the year's approach. And then finally, we'd still love to dissolve clots in intermediate PEs, but we need something a little bit safer than systemic thrombolysis. What if we tried out a catheter approach? Now, if you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber. What's up with that, guys? So you will not be receiving the entire Journal Feed podcast, only receiving a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, they're all great articles. But if you would like to receive full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you'll have to become a member. And remember, we don't ever want money to be a barrier to patient care. So if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, just get in touch and we'll help you out. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by Jason Lesnick, Dendrick Cooper, Vivian Lay, Christopher Thome, and Clay Smith. So let's get on to the first article, which was titled Anteroposterior Pacer Pad Position is More Likely to Capture Than Anterolateral for Transcutaneous Pacing out of the Journal of Circulation. Over the last couple of years, there's been kind of a silent war raging over which pad placement is best for defibrillation and cardioversion. The answer seems to be that it doesn't really matter. But defibrillating isn't the only thing that you can do with pads, you know. What about transcutaneous pacing? That uses a lot lower voltages and has to reliably conduct electricity hundreds of times in order to possibly save a life. This was a prospective crossover trial enrolling 20 patients who were in an electrophysiology lab, who were scheduled for electrocardioversion, and while they were still sedated, they were paced in the two different pad placement configurations, anterior-posterior and anterolateral. This didn't work in all the patients. Three had incomplete data because they were waking up and it wasn't considered ethical and to keep them sedated just for this. Another four patients didn't have capture with either pad placement, even up to energies of 140 milliamps. This leaves us with just a sample of 13 patients. Now, they found a statistically lower voltage was required when the pads were in the AP placement. 93 milliamps compared to 126 milliamps. There was a secondary outcome comparing the chest wall contraction severity, which is assessed by a novel scoring system. They found that the AP placement showed less chest wall contraction. Now, how does this translate to your recess room? Well, here, 23% of patients had no capture, and odds are, in real life, even less patients than that would have capture because their heart might be stunned or possibly ischemic. And it's nice that it seemed to require less energy, sure, but both of them still got capture. You'd need to work a little bit harder to make the case that I actually care about exactly how much chest contractility there was especially in a critical situation such as this. Personally, I'm not sure I'd make the effort to necessarily move the pads that were already placed because it's not clear that it's going to be useful clinically. However, given the time and the ease of choice, 
I may prefer the AP pad placement because it's less energy, which possibly means less pain to the patient and less sedation, and sedation pain control can already be kind of complicated in these patients. In a spoonful, using AP pad placement for transcutaneous pacing takes less energy and causes less chest wall contraction. And then skipping over to the third article, titled The Benefits and Clinical Application of Digital Rectal Exam in Trauma Populations Towards Enhancing Patient Safety and Quality Outcomes out of the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. I'm always shocked at how difficult it seems to convince people not to stick their fingers in people's butts. I understand you used to do it probably a lot more when the older doctors trained, but are you really that attached to it? That said, in trauma patients, a DRE is still recommended by the American College of Surgeons ATLS course. However, the exam's diagnostic validity and clinical relevance are questionable at best. So let's look at this systematic review, looking at the DRE's sensitivity for spinal cord, gastrointestinal, and urethral injuries. Also, does doing the exam change management? There were nine studies, which included a total of 3,800 patients. A DRE had an overall sensitivity for injuries ranging from 7 to 51%. Each specific injury was similar in the ranges, 8 to 50% for spinal cord injuries, 0 to 50% for GI or urethral injuries. And I hate to say it, but a good test probably shouldn't have a range from 0 to anything for their sensitivities. Now, pretty much everything else, such as wounds around the umbilicus, penetrating wounds to the abdomen, buttock, or perineum, blood at the urethral meatus, neurological deficits, scrotal hematoma, and unstable pelvis were more sensitive for detecting injuries at 73% compared to the DRE at 41%. In one study, DRE only changed management about 11% of the time. How about in children? Physical exam without DRE is as sensitive as with DRE. Yuck. One study of 213 patients so DRE to miss 66% of spinal injuries and 100% of urethral or GI injuries. It's not an amazing test. Honestly though, just because it's in ATLS doesn't mean you ought to be doing it necessarily. How many of you, knowing our listenership is really strongly focused in North America, so when was the last time that you did a diagnostic peritoneal lavage? That's also in ATLS, but it's just because it's there doesn't mean you should do it. The ATLS tries to cater to everyone all around the world that doesn't necessarily have access to all the fancy scanners within arm's reach, as many of you probably do. So you should probably feel safe skipping the DRE as part of your trauma exam. In a spoonful, it took us a while to really put our finger on it, but the DRE is a crappy test in trauma. All right, guys, that's it. Let's wrap up. What did we learn today? First, pad placement during transcutaneous pacing makes a difference. It allows you to use less energy if the pads are placed in the AP configuration. How does this affect outcomes is anyone's guess, but it may be more comfortable for the patient since it causes less chest wall contraction. From the third article, while we all enjoy the feeling of warm and mushy on the inside, doing a DRE in trauma doesn't seem to add much to our evaluation. Now, links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to get a double dose of all this information so that you can remember it and apply it clinically. If you're feeling a little bit like you missed out, if you'd like to hear all the article summaries that I teased at the beginning, then you'll have to come over and join us in the members feed. Our goal is for you to read less, learn more, and then save lives, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.